you are listening to My City, My Health, the podcast. Hi, welcome to the My City, My Health podcast. My name is Caleb, and today I'm here with Anyeche. Um, yes. Start off, who are you, and what is your experience with health equity? Um, hi, Caleb. Uh, it's great to be here. My name is Onyeche Oche, and I'm a doctoral candidate in the College of Pharmacy's PhD program in health services research. I'm also a graduate research assistant and a practicing pharmacist in Iowa. I'm also actively involved in many students and community organizations in Iowa City, and most of these organizations focus on graduate students' challenges and improving their experiences, enhancing community engagement, and promoting the understanding of international issues in Iowa City. Cool. Cool. Well, nice to meet you. I'm sure everybody listening in is not happy to meet you, too. Um, nice to meet you. Yeah, you touched on you uh, do a lot of uh, clubs and activities with the University of Iowa. Is that correct? That what, is correct. What kind, of, what kind of things do you do with that? Yes. So um, currently I'm in the Graduate Engagement Core Program. So this is a group of grad students that are interested in research that has impact on the community. So we, you know, we come up with our research projects that we work with in collaboration with community partners. And we try to identify issues that are, you know, a concern to our community partners and then we work together with them to get grant funding and help them in those projects. So right now, I'm partnering with a with an organization that um, provides services for people with disabilities, and that's really kind of like my it is my passion. I'm really passionate about um, vulnerable populations, especially in the area of improving healthcare access to vulnerable populations. So that's just one of the things that I do. Other than that, on campus, I'm active in like the graduate student senate. Um, and then graduates and professional student governments, I used to be um, a liaison there as well. So just issues affecting students in general, international students in particular, and community engagement issues as well. Okay. You're very involved, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy what I do. Sounds like it. Um, can you tell me more about the, um, you said you're researching better ways for elderly people to get health care. Can you touch on what kind of things there are? Yes. Are you allowed to talk about yes, that? exactly. So, you know, the pandemic hit everyone, right? And a lot of people made adjustments. And for, you know, many people, there was a shift from in-person healthcare to telemedicine. And so I've been thinking about just different groups of people. And like I said, I'm interested in improving healthcare access for vulnerable populations. So I've been thinking about older adults, right? And I've been thinking especially about older older adults with disabilities and how they were able to transition to telemedicine um, at the peak of the pandemic. And this is because so the older the older adult population, it's not a monolith, but many of them experience what we call a digital divide, which means that they lag behind the rest of the population in socioeconomic characteristics that limit their motivation, their skills and use of technology. So thinking about that and then thinking about people with disabilities and then combining an older adult with a disability, it just seems like this is a doubly vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. And so my interest, you know, is in how they fared, you know, in that transition. And, you know, in knowing how they fared, 
can we help to, you know, design telemedicine in a way that makes it easier for them to access healthcare? So that's kind of what that research about telemedicine and older adults is all about. Yeah, is it going well? It is going well so far. Yes, um, it's going well so far. So we're going to start collecting data soon. So we'll see what the what the people say. We'll see. Yeah, it's very interesting because you think about the pandemic and everything that got messed up. Yeah. You know, yeah. early people kind of slide under the view. Ex you know? Yeah, sure. And sure. Uh, telemedicine, I read your article. You might want to touch on what it is for anybody listening. Yes. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a yes. good Yes, we actually... Exactly. We actually started with my advisor um, and our partners at UIHC. We started, we did a, we did a, we wrote a paper and it was really about um, looking at barriers and facilitators of telemedicine video visits in older adults. So basically we interviewed, you know, older adults themselves, and then we interviewed people, you know, um, all the people involved in their healthcare. So their physicians, caregivers, you know, even medical assistants, schedulers, just everyone, just to hear how they fared, you know, um, with telemedicine video visits. And it was just interesting to get different perspectives. And then we made recommendations based on their perspectives about what the experience was. So that was what, what kind of started, you know, sparked my interest, you know, in, in the area that I'm in now. So I've just kind of tweaked it a little bit to um, older adults with disabilities now to kind of like broaden, you know, that scope and um, see what we can get from there as well. Awesome. Wow. Sounds like you're very passionate about that as well. Oh, yes. Anything vulnerable populations. I, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just an area that's very, very, uh, that I'm very passionate about. And it's not just older adults. It's um, even people with limited English language proficiency. It's people that struggle in the healthcare system, people with limited health literacy, you know, just um, people that just on a normal day, first of all, on a normal day, it is hard to navigate the healthcare system in America. Mm. Just even if you're smart and you're young and you're everything. And then when you add all of these layers of difficulty, it just makes it, you know, just much, much worse. So yeah, so vulnerable populations, that's my, that's my, uh, that's my my passion right there. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like you mostly work with elderly populations and you like doing that. Have you had any experience working with any other underserved populations or people that need that extra help? You mentioned people that have a language barrier. Um, yeah, so like well, in, in, exactly. Good question. So um, apart from doing research with the older adult population, I have been involved in some volunteer work as well in Iowa City. So um, it's not research, it's volunteer work, but it's it has to do with people with limited English language proficiency. So I've helped to, you know, teach English, you know, on occasion as well. And I feel like that is, you know, that's just little, I mean, that's the least I can do, you know, just to improve people's ability to navigate um, the healthcare system by themselves, if by speaking better English. So in it's not directly tied to my research, but I feel like it is um it's a way to help people to get better healthcare and you know that's what i'm interested in improving access to healthcare so you speak better english you can navigate the system better you most likely will get better healthcare it's not a direct relationship but it's it's um definitely very it's a powerful contributor yeah for sure definitely definitely yeah. and so would you say that healthcare access is the biggest 
barrier in health equity in Iowa City at the moment? Uh, to speak to speak about Iowa City in general. I think that's a loaded uh, question, but yeah, it is a loaded question. It is a very broad question as well. But um healthcare access is definitely something that can, you know, can make um health equity um can can make the whole the whole conversation around health equity go one way or the other. Health access obviously um is very broad. You know, are we talking about the ability to pay? Are we talking about the ability to get to a provider? Is it because there is no provider? Um, is it just not understanding, you know, just health information? So it, it depending on what kind of access you're referring to, it definitely can, you know, make healthcare equitable or inequitable. So yeah, like I said, people with limited English language proficiency, for example, um, how do you navigate the healthcare system if you don't have health? You know, if you don't have translators, if you don't have translators that you trust, if you don't have, you know, there's just so many layers to this thing. So, um, I, I, yeah, definitely there are many issues that make healthcare um, inequitable and um, healthcare access is so broad that it's hard to, it, it is one of the contributors, but um, definitely not the end. Well, of course, I like how you said it earlier of, um, you know, if you're the smartest, healthiest guy or girl and you go into the you need medical access it's still hard it's still yeah yeah definitely big problem and then if you have the other barriers on top of that it's even it's even worse way worse way worse yeah, yeah. i saw that you did do some work overseas can you tell me about that sure so um my background is in pharmacy so i got licensed as a pharmacist for the first time in nigeria west africa and i worked there for a couple of years as a hospital pharmacist before i came to the us um, so when I came to the U.S., I did an MBA and I specialized in healthcare administration. So I have like, you know, administrative experience. Uh, so my brain works science and business, you know, I have like these two things uh, going on at the same time. So in how I bring business to healthcare really is, is just, uh, first of all, just really being very analytical, um, having a problem solving mind and the MBA kind of sharpened that as well. So when I look at the healthcare system, I'm always like, I'm lo I'm looking for how we, how we can be more efficient, you know, how we can do things better. So so my background in pharmacy, working, you know, um, in Nigeria, opened my eyes first of all to how you know things can be improved, right? And then doing the MBA just gave me tools, um, process efficiency tools to say, you know, we can make things better. So now when I look at the whole healthcare system, I look at it from um, a process improvement, you know, mindset, how we can make things better. And even in improving access to healthcare, how can we make healthcare access more efficient is still part of, you know, the questions that I'm answering, even in my current research. Of course, always, always bigger and better, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Definitely. And could you compare the two, you know, healthcare in America and healthcare in Nigeria? I'm sure they're. Oh, Dara, <laughs> compare the two? Um, yeah, that's another broad question, too. So it'll be hard for me to compare if you don't give me something uh, to compare. Let me, let me rephrase. Exactly. Yeah. Let me rephrase. Could you say there's something, um, factors from healthcare in America or healthcare in Nigeria that you brought back either way that you 
maybe something from America that you brought to Nigeria? Yes, definitely. Let me see. Let me let me give you an example. So let's talk about cultural competency now or cultural sens sensitivity. So so I worked in the southern part of Nigeria at some point, and then at some other point, I worked in the northern part of Nigeria. And when I worked at, at these two places, I worked as a hospital pharmacist. So when I was a hospital pharmacist in the southern part of Nigeria, and in Nigeria, English is the official language. Everybody speaks English. Well, not everybody. Officially, everybody speaks English, but you know, some people do not speak English. They speak their own local languages. So in the southern part of the country, when I was working as a pharmacist at this, you know, big teaching hospital, you'd have a lot of people come in who speak English. So just, you know, interacting with them was a breeze. And then some people would come in and they wouldn't speak English. They'll speak the local language, Yoruba. And what I had to do at that point was just really think about, you know, people coming in and just, you know, being uncomfortable because you don't speak their language and just not being sure how to interact with you and you not being sure how to interact with them. So what I did was just to go le learn basic Yoruba, which is the language. I just learned basic Yoruba that was sufficient for me to be able to welcome them, you know, greet them and um, communicate um, dosage instructions, like two in the morning, two in the afternoon, two at night, um, and things like that. So I had to learn basic Yoruba to be able to do that. And I found it, it was so, like, you, you would see people's eyes just light up because they'll come and then they're like, oh my gosh, this person doesn't look like she speaks our language. But then I'll just tell them and then they'll be like, oh my gosh, you can see the smiles. <laughs> and of course, when he went beyond like the basic things that I knew, I was like, hey, I need help. I need, you know, I need someone, maybe like a pharmacy tech or somebody just come help me out here who obviously spoke the language. Yeah. And it was the same, it was the same thing when I moved to the North. I learned basic Hausa because Hausa is like the generally spoken language um you know and then i learned basic hausa and i was able to communicate as well welcome how to take medications and things like that how are you doing how is your family so i feel like those things can be incorporated here as well especially in a community that is becoming increasingly diverse like iowa city i mean you have refugees coming all the time some people speak english some people do not you know just understanding all this you know how to really communicate with people is so important because when they feel comfortable, they can share, they can tell you, you know what, I'm taking all these other drugs at home, but they're not really like, they're like herbal stuff and, you know, will it affect this other one I'm taking this, you know, so things like that, you can get it out of patients when you interact with them in a way that makes them feel like, you know, like you are family. So for yeah. me, I feel if there's anything I can bring back here, it's just, understanding enough about the culture to be able to communicate with them in a way that opens them up to share more. And in that in that way, just really get better healthcare as a result. That's interesting. That's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Didn't know how to work. speak the language. You went and did it and worked out for the better. Sounds like. I, I think so. I think people warmed up to it. You know, yeah. and I think that it, it can be replicated anywhere in any part of the world, really. Do you do that still today? If you have a client that so, has a different background than yeah, you, you kind of yeah. research, kind of look into what they have? For me, I kind of just, so language hasn't been a big issue in Iowa City. I mean, because not, not too many, 
here, right? Like in the pharmacy. So the pharmacy where I work, it's, you don't have a lot of people that are of different backgrounds like that, you know, but if I were to be in another environment, it, it's what I will bring. I will bring just, you know, um, that ability to really interact with them in a way that they can, um, you know, relate with. But I would say right now, I just kind of, when I see one or two people that are just, you know, of a different background, I, I, I find ways to just really, for me, I think it's, it could just be a smile. You know, of course you smile for, of course you, you smile at everybody, but there's just a way you smile and then you ask questions, you know, about family, especially if they come with their kids or something, you know, you just, you're not just acting interested, but you're actually interested, right? And they can sense that, you know, I think the, the overall message, I guess, is just making people feel comfortable. Make people yeah, feel so, comfortable, make them feel welcome. Yeah. Yep. Feel welcome. Yeah. All right. So with Iowa City, uh, we talked about some underserved populations, some people that have barriers. Um, what mm -hmm. advice could you give them if they don't have the services they need um, or the access that they need to healthcare? So I, I think the first thing I would I would say here is to, you know, to properly identify those barriers. To properly identify them in the sense that you know access is broad, right? So you're if they are struggling to access healthcare, how do they define access? Um, is it is it that you don't have transportation to get to the hospital? Is that what is causing the the struggle? Is it because you know they don't have health insurance and healthcare can be very expensive, as you know? Um, is it that they don't even know where to go to get their health needs met? You know, so is it a health literacy problem? Do they have information that they don't even understand? You know, so there's so many aspects to um to healthcare access, and there are many reasons why people could struggle to, to access healthcare. So for me, I think the first thing would be to properly define what that problem is, what that barrier is. And then, you know, once it's defined, then we can, you know, proffer solutions. Um, for example. You know, if they're struggling with an addiction problem and they feel that they might get into trouble if they, you know, go see a provider or they might, you know, be stigmatized, you know, in one way or the other, you know, it's it's a struggle. They might not find it very easy to talk about, you know, but it's still a struggle to access healthcare nonetheless. So I think my first thing would be to say, don't keep your problem to yourself. Please don't keep your problem to yourself. Um, start locally, start in your community, even if it's um, a pharmacy, you see a pharmacist, because pharmacists are very accessible. You know, if you go to your local pharmacy and you can talk with your pharmacist about what you're going through, and then they that can be a first step, right? It might not be the ultimate solution, but it's a first step that can properly, you know, that can help to properly direct that individual to where the resources are. You know, so my my thing is, regardless of the problem, start locally. Identify people you can trust in your community, especially people in healthcare. You know that can that you can trust with your problem enough to get proper direction. Because if it's a if it's a problem of I don't even know where to go, you see that's you know that you don't keep it to yourself. Okay, that's the first thing. Don't keep it to yourself. Identify somebody in your community, speak with them and let them be like the guide to where you should go eventually. Cool. 
And of course, that's what we're kind of doing with the with our conference at the end of April. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. speaking out, getting the community involved, and yes, you know, giving them that idea of who I could talk to, what I should do, where I exactly. should be looking. Yeah. yeah, conference is spectacular. I'm looking forward to. It. Yeah. What What <laughs> would you say you're most excited about in the conference? Oh well, I just looked at the lineup of speakers, and I'm just blown away. You know, just really blown away by just the. You know, the caliber of people, I, I can't wait to learn from them, to just hear, you know, what they're doing, you know, to, to learn from them and possibly even find people that, you know, are doing what I'm doing, like similar work and just maybe forming some kind of collaborations with them. So, but but most importantly, it's just to go and listen and learn, you know, from people that are doing great work in City. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've seen the list of panelists, you know, I don't know everybody, but yeah. I've yeah. Been able to look through and see what they've done, who they are, yes. and uh, I think it's going to be great. I think we have great people, including yourself, of course. Oh well, well thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, but being able to educate, being able to share with the community, um, I think it'll be great. I think it'll be a really good time. Yeah, look forward to it. So, your previous research in telemedicine. Can you speak more about just specifically what that is? Yeah. So, so the first one that we did was about the barriers and facilitators to telemedicine. So what's making telemedicine easy for older adults or difficult, you know, from the perspective of the older adult, like what do they think is hard and what do they think is easy? And then we asked their physicians, what do you think is hard for the older adults? What do you think is easy for them? And then we asked their caregivers and then we asked also, you know, like schedulers, medical assistants, just to get a very just get a broad range of perspectives on what could you know what we could do to make telemedicine just easier for, for this group of people and it was interesting just you know hearing what they said and then um, coming up with recommendations based on what they said so for me I just feel like we need to involve the people the people that are affected by the problem they need to be given a voice. And that's really what my research is, you know, really about giving older adults a voice. You know, it's not just about everybody else, but what about them? They're the ones who wear the shoes, right? They should be given a voice. And so um, we're happy that we, we spoke with a number of them and they, 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 they were very responsive, you know? So, so that's one of, that, that was one research that um, I thought was very, very meaningful. And um, the other one was about um, just improving pharmacy pharmacist workflow. So when the pandemic came, of course, you know, everybody had to deal with it. But even in the hospitals too, right? Patients were dealing with telemedicine. Providers were also dealing with how to begin to see patients differently. So it was just a workflow that was developed in pharmacy to be able to make the transition easier. So you will see a patient via video conference like this and then the pharmacist will see the patient and after seeing the patient you know get all the information and then have another meeting with all the other members of the healthcare team to discuss that patient's problems and everything and you know and then move on from there so that way those older adults were carried along you know it wasn't like their healthcare suffered because there was they weren't coming into the hospital anymore so that way we had, you know, healthcare became even more efficient at that point and safe for the older adults, mm -hmm. obviously, um, yeah. because of the, the virus and all the issues that come with um, being older and being susceptible. So 
just improving the pharmacy workflow and finding the barriers and facilitators of, facilitators of telemedicine in older adults. So, um, yeah, those were two two telemedicine related um, um, studies that I've worked on. Okay, cool. And is telemedicine as a I don't want to say business, but um, as a program, is it fully nationwide? Everybody's using telemedicine to speak with these elderly adults and whoever else can use it. So at, at that is so so this was a pandemic. Um, how do I put it now? It was a pandemic adjustment. <laughs> so it was an adjustment that we had to make at the peak of the pandemic. Mm. So obviously, when when the when that you know when most of the problems, most of the difficulties with you know infections and all of the problems when we started like doing better you know when the pandemic wasn't as um, serious in quote um people wanted to come back to the hospital <laughs> you know how it is right just to see their physicians and um so it was a measure that was adopted at the peak of the pandemic and some people still like to see their physicians via telemedicine and, you know, it, it's a possibility that it could, I mean, if we don't pray for another pandemic, but if something potentially life-threatening happens again or another pandemic happens, um, telemedicine has been proven to work, right, for this group of people and just in general, and it could be used again. So what I'm just trying to say in, in essence is um, it's not as widely used as it was at the peak of the pandemic, obviously, but it still serves a purpose. It served a purpose then. It will still serve a purpose in the future, and it, it's currently serving a purpose for certain groups of people. Of course, yeah. Yeah, during the pandemic, I could see it being very useful. Do you think everybody was given the option of you could come in for a doctor's visit or use telemedicine to visit your physician? Do you think it'll start to become more widely used? Of, you know, I don't have to go all the way to the hospital. I don't have to drive somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't have to leave my mm -hmm. house. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think there are factors there where it could become a much bigger thing oh, for yeah, it, another it, purpose? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, it all really depends on the individual, right? Now, if we're looking at older adults with mobility disabilities, for example, right? If you're looking at older adults that do not have transportation to get to their hospitals, if you're looking at people that struggle to get to their to their point to make it to their appointments you will see that if they can learn how to use telemedicine or if they can get assistance in using telemedicine and they don't have to be physically examined, like, you know, checked out and all of that, they will stay home. Yeah. I mean, we've, I've, I've had, I've had, I've listened to, um, uh, it was actually last week, it was one conference and somebody was, somebody was talking on behalf of, uh, he works with older adults. He is old, an older adult, adult himself. And he works with, you know, older adults. And he said, you know what? Our greatest problem is really just learning the technology. Like he said, he used himself as an example. And he, he said, I, 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 since telemedicine, you know, came 2020, since it, the use increased and all that, he said, I don't even visit my doctor anymore. Like I don't do any in-person visits anymore. So like I said, it depends on the individuals, but as people get, in, as people get older and older, it, it becomes, you know, um, just a little bit more difficult to just go up and down and see your doctors and all that. Um, so depending on that individual, it might be easier for them to just do telemedicine. But of course, some people would always want that interaction, physical, you know, face-to-face -face, um, interaction. So you can't take that away, you know. So 
it really depends on individual at the end of the day. Some will be very good with it, some will not, you know, but just make that available so that people can choose. I think that's really what this is, what I'm driving at. Just make it an option that people can choose and let them choose what they want. And I think even that comes back to what you were saying about, um, you know, cultural competency and just kind of making people feel comfortable, you know, so being face-to-face, feel comfortable. If you want to be virtual, you know, I think it, yeah. I think it's great that there's going to be an option. There's yes. different ways to go about things that helps yeah. whoever needs it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So we are running out of time here, but um, you've been around the Iowa City area. You're currently doing yes. research for the university and um, obviously a lot of volunteering and a lot of groups that you're a part of. What is something that you hope to see different in Iowa City within the healthcare field and just the community within the next five years? Uh, I really like Iowa City, first of first and foremost. I oh, love who it doesn't? here. Oh, I love it here. And you know, one thing I would say is I, I would like to see more effort being put into job creation um for re- retaining local talent. Now, why I say this is because Iowa is great at attracting the best from all over the world. But I cannot see the same for retaining them, you know. And when I speak with people, especially international students, when I speak with them and I ask them about, you know, staying in Iowa where they're done with school, many people, many people are, you know, they're very, you know, very excited like me about Iowa City and they want to stay. But then they say, uh, well, the job, the kind of jobs I'm looking for are not here and then they have to leave. And I feel like Iowa does so much in bringing people here. But when the jobs are not here, people leave. So if you ask me what I'd like to see, I'd like to see retention of local talent. Because, you know, there's so many people coming into Iowa, you know, not just like, you know, immigrants, refugees, or different communities are coming in here. It could actually be an international hub, you know? But -hmm. when people come and they can't find the kinds of jobs that they want, then they leave. It's almost like Iowa is training people um, for other cities, you know, that kind of thing. So I just feel if there can be more effort into retaining local talent by, you know, creating the kinds of jobs that will that will make people stay, I think that would be amazing. Um, Iowa was just really just, you know, as great as it is, it'll just be greater, that much greater. That's what I feel. Yeah. Awesome. And in, in the area of healthcare research, I, I would say, um, a lot of work is being done with different, you know, in different communities in Iowa, but I feel, you know, there are more people coming into Iowa, a lot of refugees coming to Iowa, you know, research that can um, involve those people, you know, it's called like community-based participatory research, research where you go into these communities, you're working with them in collaboration with them, you know, they they come up with issues that they are most affected by and you work with them. Um, together, you know, and come up with, you know, solutions that are, you know, that everybody is happy with. And when the researcher leaves, the people there can sustain that, you know, tempo, you know, they're able, because they're part of it from the start, they're able to just like really continue it. I think because I was becoming so multicultural, you know, it would be great to have that kind, more of that kind of research. It's already been done, but just more in different communities to really get to the heart of whatever their issues are with healthcare or just living, you know, living in, in Iowa City in general, and then, you know, helping them with those issues. And then at the end of the day, leaving them with solutions and giving them the tools to sustain those changes when the researchers leave. 
it, I think it's just very empowering that way. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Great. I hope, you know, I hope we see those. And uh, I really like your view on um, job retention here. I, I haven't heard about that, you know, but, you know, we do get great people. Everyone comes to Iowa City and then they don't stay. They don't stay. We got to get we them to stay. To do something. Yeah, we need to get them to stay. And there's so much to get them to stay. There's so, there's so many good things happening in Iowa that can make people stay. But mm -hmm. job is key, you know, job is key. Got to make a living. Yep. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you to everybody oh, thank for you, listening to the My City, My Health. Um, uh, I think the next time I'll see you is at the conference, April 28th, oh, yes. correct? Yeah, I'll look out for you. <laughs> great. That's speaking it was with great you. talking with you, Caleb. Take care. Bye. Bye.